Hey everybody, this is Jeannie Faulkner, and you're listening to Common Sense Pregnancy and Parenting, the podcast. I am the author of Common Sense Pregnancy, the book, and this podcast is my way of carrying on a global conversation all about pregnancy and parenthood and mothering and fathering and feminism and healthcare and politics and careers and then some. I love how many people are listening to the podcast from way beyond the United States and sending me their questions and comments via email. Keep them coming, folks. I love it. So, happy June. For all of you who've gotten kind of used to hearing the Portland weather report, the sun is finally coming out, and I could not be happier. I tell you what, summertime is the best reason to live in Portland. Everything's green and gorgeous, there's tons to do, the city is alive, everybody's playing outside. I'm a California native, and I was born in the summertime, and sunshine is my natural climate. So I moved up here to the Pacific Northwest, oh gosh, it's been more than 20 years now, and I love almost everything about it, but the gray, drizzly, wet weather really affects my mood. You guys are probably going to notice that I brighten right up over the summertime. If this June is like most, we're still going to be gray and gloomy for you know most of the rest of the month. Summer officially starts here in early July, and that's when we can expect the sun to stay out for months at a time. But... Regardless, whenever the sun makes an appearance, Portlanders light right up. It's awesome. So, back to my mention of listeners' emails. I got one last month from a listener in the Netherlands. And I'm always intrigued by what's happening with mothers and the birth community and maternal health care and all of that when it's in that part of the world because... The Netherlands, Finland, Norway, Ireland, um, lots of European countries have really, really good maternal health outcomes. We could aspire to be as good as they are. Um, I think that, you know, here in the United States, we're looking at about 20 maternal deaths for every 100,000 live births. In that part of the country, it's, you know, six or fewer maybe seven or eight, but really, really low. We can aspire to be as good as they are. So anyways, um, Olga Mecking wrote about what her maternal health care perspective is like um, and, and what it was like for women in her country. She wrote, I live in the Netherlands where more than 20% of women give birth at home and healthy low-risk births are managed by midwives, not obstetricians, who are only involved in case of problems. There actually has been a huge discussion going on here about the safety of home births. Some think saying that home births are responsible for high perinatal mortality rate in the Netherlands and some saying that women should have the choice to have a home birth. And there have been changes to the system for example, more women wanting to give birth in the hospital, but also a rise in the popularity of birth centers and doulas. Another distinct feature of the Dutch system is what they call kramzarg. See, for example, my post on Babel. Oh, look up Olga Mecking on Babel. Kramzorgster is a postpartum nurse who comes over to the mom's house and takes care of mom, baby, and... Um, additionally, performs light chores, cleans the bathrooms, does the laundry, makes the bed, and guards off visitors so that mom can rest. She also reminds mom to rest. My Kramzorkster, apologies for the mispronunciation, uh, 
knew what tea I liked and made me delicious fruit salad in the mornings. It's only for eight days, but really intensive for eight hours a day. In fact, I still miss my crumbs org. <laughs> I love that idea. Don't you just wish that we all had a crumbs org with us for throughout our mothering careers? What a difference it would make. Um, Olga Mecking is a writer and translator who lives in the Netherlands with her German husband and three children. She writes the blog EuropeanMama.com. I wanted to get her on the podcast to tell us what it's like to be pregnant, give birth, and raise babies in the Netherlands. So let's give Olga a call. Hi, Olga. Hello. How's your day so far? It's nighttime in the Netherlands, isn't it? It is. It's half past 10, actually, at uh, p.m., so quite late. <laughs> I am not even able to carry on a conversation that late at night anymore. <laughs> My hat is off to you. So, Olga, I want to ask you the first question today that I like to ask most people who come on the show, and that mm -hmm. is a simple one that is often hard to answer. Who okay. are who are you and what do you do? All right, that's somewhat complicated. Isn't um, it? Isn't it? <laughs> it is. Um, so, basically, I am a writer and a translator. Mm -hmm. I was born in Poland. Mm -hmm. um, and my husband is German, and we live in the Netherlands. <laughs> How did you and, find yourself there? Uh, that's even more complicated. So my husband and I met when I was studying in Germany, because I, um, I've been speaking German since I was a child. I lived there when I was little, so I speak it um, you know, very fluently. Mm -hmm. um, and later, I came to Germany to study, where I met my German husband. I mean, he was my, obviously, <laughs> he was my boyfriend first. Um, and, yes, after a while I moved to Germany, although before I moved to Germany, he found himself a job in Canada, so I moved to Canada first, and then I moved to Germany to, you know, to be with him. Mm -hmm. And then I got pregnant, and we, um, and so he found himself, my my fiance we were engaged at that time found himself a job in the Netherlands and moved over there while I stayed in Germany to have my baby mm -hmm. and in between me becoming pregnant and him moving to that to the Netherlands we met, got married and when my baby was six weeks old we moved to the Netherlands as well so, so was your husband with you when you had the baby he was actually he wasn't actually because um, yeah you know, with with birth, it's very hard to say when the baby is go is going to be born, unless of course you have a C-section or you get induced. Right. So when I went into labor, I wasn't sure whether this was labor or not. Mm -hmm. And so he was with me when my contractions contractions started, but I didn't know they were you know real. So he left, and um, our first daughter was born uh, the next day or two days after that. Wow. So he was with you when you went into labor, but then he yeah. he went he went back for work. Yeah, as, yeah, exactly. Because we went to the hospital, but he told they told us, oh yes, there are some contractions, but they're not regular. They're mm -hmm. not strong enough, mm -hmm. you know. And I wasn't even dilated, or maybe one centimeter or so. Mm -hmm. So there was no reason to assume that this is real labor, and that's why he went back to the Netherlands. Wow. Were you alone, or did you have friends and family with you? 
I had my mother-in-law with me, which wasn't the most fortunate outcome oh. <laughs> because someone someone had to drive me to the hospital. Um, and so we were both so confused, so she just stayed. And I just, you know, when you're in labor, kind of, kind of think properly. So I wasn't in a position to tell her to leave. So, yeah. But it's not, it's not necessarily the person. It doesn't sound like it's necessarily the person you wanted by your side. No, not, not really. Oh, man. That's a, rough, <laughs> that's a rough start for a first baby. I know. Yeah. I know. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about your work, what it is that you do. You said that you're a writer and a translator. Tell me a little bit about both of those. So, yeah, I... Um I started writing, uh, I started a blog when, um, yeah, um, it's called European Mama, Mm -hmm. because, well, Mama, because, you know, I just had my second baby then, and uh, European because, you know, me being Polish and living with my German husband in the Netherlands, and Mm -hmm. I have family in France, and, and so on, so that's why European Mama, and, um, so I started a blog when, (laughs) Um, so basically the story behind it is that a lady called the police on me because my eldest daughter had a temper tantrum on the street and she was two at the time, two years old. So in, you know, in that stage where they have lots of temper tantrums. Sure. sure. And so 100% normal. Yeah. So this, I mean, what happened was she didn't want to go in the stroller and I had to put her in a stroller because you know, we lived in Delft and there's lots of canals and and there was cobblestone streets and cars and whatever. So I couldn't let her run because I was just too, you know, I just had just my second baby six weeks prior to that. So I was somewhat confused and I just couldn't let her run around because I knew I wouldn't be able to pay attention to her. Sure. And so I had to put her in a stroller and um, she didn't want to be in the stroller, obviously. So this lady saw me, you know, fighting with her and trying to put her in a, put my daughter in, the, in that stroller. And she came up to me and she said, you're abusing a child. Now, oh. first she asked me whether I was the au pair. Uh, instead of the mother. Instead of the mother, because I basically you look younger than I am and I wear no makeup and yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So she asks, are you the upper? No, no, I'm, I'm, I'm the mother. And she's like, you're abusing your children. I'm calling the police. Wow. Wow. This woman may not have had children or certainly not a toddler having a tantrum. Actually, um, I was lucky because the daycare nannies were, they were just leaving work to go home. And they, you know, stood by my side. They saw me on the street um, and they wanted to help me. So they asked actually that question. Do you even have kids? Don't you know that kids do such things? And she was like, oh, I have two adult kids and they've never behaved that way. (laughs) She's lying. (laughs) Mm, I thought so. Or, you know, maybe she's not lying. Maybe she just kind of put that part in a, you know, very, in a safe somewhere in her brain, not never to access it again or something. Or possibly she didn't raise her own children. Maybe she had nannies and au pairs do the raising for her. I, I, I don't know about Who that. Knows? I just know she had yeah. two adult kids, but yeah. Wow. Wow. So that inspired you to start writing. Exactly. Because, you know, when you're, when you live abroad and something like that happens to you, then you think, I can't be the only one. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are people all over the world who have 
ridiculous situations happening to them every day just because you know when you live abroad it's just it's just what happens sometimes mm -hmm. just you get all those different funny situations and it make lots of faux pas so I thought I'd start a blog as a platform to tell my stories and maybe you know uh, support others or help them deal with if they had a similar situation, you know, to maybe they will they will read my story and feel less alone. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And did you find an audience right away? Uh, it took a while because at the beginning I was writing in three languages because again I had my baby and I feel was feeling very stupid. So I thought I exercised my brain a little mm -hmm. by writing in, in three languages: Polish, German, and English. Mm -hmm. And then I only found an audience, a bigger audience, when I started writing in English only. And which makes sense, obviously. <laughs> so you've been doing that for a little while now? Five years. All right. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about what you write now. <sighs> so I still write on my blog. I try to write every week. Mm-hmm. Um, and I write mostly about parenting and living abroad and traveling and food. Oh, all right. Yeah. And you also do translation. Um, I used to do more of that. Now I do it very occasionally. Mm -hmm. um, it's just because when I was still living in Poland, I was working at a translation agency. Mm -hmm. um, and actually, but I, I you know... I've always, um, I knew German and I knew Polish and then I learned English so it was easy for me to start translating in a way. Mm -hmm. It was just very natural, mm -hmm. you know, it's a very natural job for someone who speaks multiple languages. Yeah, I bet it is. Yeah, yeah. so yeah. Th that's what I did and I translated a website for a company and I translated a website for a tango band mm -hmm. and I did lots of that. But then I moved to Germany and then to the Netherlands and I lost all my contacts. So you had your first baby in Germany. Did you have yes. a... Yes. Other than the fact that your husband wasn't with you and your mother-in-law was, did you have a fairly um, positive experience? Um, yes and no. So um, the birth itself was quite difficult because it took forever. It took like 38 hours mm -hmm. for her to be born. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, so um, my negative experiences are mostly because, you know, like this hospital staff was very nice and um, I was well treated there. Um, it just was, you know, such an exhausting, horrible experience because of the birth itself yeah. at the time. First, first labors and births are the hardest. Yeah, that's what I heard. Yeah. Um, and also for me, it was because my daughter was... Um, she was what the Germans call a Sternkucker, which is um, stargazer. She ah, yes. Her. We call it sunny side up. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so for my listeners who don't know what we're talking about, normally a baby is born with the back of the head is up against the mom's bladder and tummy. That's the normal position for a you know, it's not necessarily normal or abnormal. It's just the easiest way to get that baby out. So when you have a stargazer or a baby who is, you know, looking sunny side up, it means that the back of the head is near the spine. And um, the baby is just flipped around facing the other direction. 
and it can make for some really difficult back labor and it can just take a little longer to get that baby out because you know the the back of the baby's head has to go through an area that is intended to mold around the baby's face instead of the skull so yes. it's, it's hard it's hard yeah yeah so basically she she did turn in the end so she was born you know in the normal position but because she had to turn so much mm -hmm. it took longer mm -hmm. and also yeah. i'm like one meter 58 centimeters i'm not sure how much it is in inches but i'm small i'm petite uh-huh and my baby was 3,500 grams. I don't know how much it is. Like, she was, you know, normal-sized baby, but for me, she was big. Yeah. So this added to the, you know, longer labor mm -hmm. and made things difficult for me. But you um, had a normal vaginal birth? Yeah. Great. Yeah, well, I had, I had, pito I had like, pitocin augmentation and um, lots of stuff, you know, running around and... and and um, and I lost lots of blood as well, mm. so mm. I was getting a little bit dizzy. But in the end, luckily, all was well, and and my baby was healthy. And yeah, I, I think I didn't like being in the hospital, but I felt um, they really took great care of me there. Mm -hmm. um, and actually, I didn't know that about the German system at that time. But in Germany, you can choose between a doctor and a midwife, mm -hmm. and both are covered. By insurance mm -hmm. and actually you can even have both so for example you can have part of the pregnancy where you get cared for by a midwife and part you get cared for by a doctor mm -hmm. so there's lots of choice there that's great um, so then how old is your oldest now five uh, she'll be seven oh, in seven. July okay. almost seven yeah so then you had your next baby how long after that uh, two years later, actually, um, not even almost two years later. So she is now five. Okay, and she was born in the Netherlands. She was born in the Netherlands, where the system is totally different. I was actually shocked by how different it is here. Tell me about it. Tell me what it's um, like. So, for example, in the Netherlands, around um, twenty-three percent of all pregnant women have births, they have home births, they give births at home actually. Mm -hmm. So it's mm -hmm. the highest number of home births in the, yeah, in the Western world. It's pretty unique actually. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, I've heard about that. And the, the healthcare system is um, connected and integrated so that if you're intending to have a home birth, all of your medical services are available to you. And it's a lot, you know, if on the, you know, chance that something you need more advanced medical care, you can get to the hospital easily, no problem with the transfer. Uh, it's not as simple as that actually. So for example, now the system is becoming more integrated. What, what was happening before was that midwives were caring only for healthy pregnancies mm -hmm. and doctors were caring for high-risk pregnancies. Mm -hmm. So the two groups had little in common. And actually, I was planning a home birth and ended up being transferred to the home hospital. And what happens there is that your midwife cares for you as long as you're low risk. But then if you have to get transferred, suddenly you're high risk and the midwife cannot um, care for you anymore. So what happens is you, she may get you to the hospital and tell the, the hospital staff, okay, I have this lady, I need to transfer, and then she leaves because she cannot care for you anymore. That's the way it, it sometimes is here in the United States, often. Okay, yeah. 
Well, I mean, it's it's a great system for women who have low risk pregnancies, and I think it's also not bad for women who have high risk pregnancies because they get cared for by a doctor only, mm-hmm. and you know, then everything is ready. But if you, for example, if you're like me, a person who needed to be transferred, then it's kind of you're dealing with double stress because someone something's wrong with the baby, and you're dealing with a whole new place and new stuff. Mm-hmm. That's that's very similar to what women go through here in the United States. Okay. Um, in I live in Portland, Oregon, and we mm-hmm. are a very liberal birth community, and okay. we, we yeah. have a lot of home births here in Oregon. Um, but what we were seeing <clears throat> for the longest time was that when a mother who had been intending to have a home birth, um, something went wrong, she'd come into the hospital, and all of a sudden, as you said, you know, not only is she scared about her baby and herself, and it's a whole new healthcare system that she's unfamiliar with, but there was also this added sense of judgment, because home birth is not widely accepted here in the United States. It's definitely yeah. considered something that is very on the fringe, and there's a lot of judgment around it. You know, there are okay. um, the home birth camps and the anti-home birth camps. And, you know, when you get into the hospital, it can be very, uh, it can be just a lot of animosity between yeah. the factions. So here in Oregon, several of the hospital systems um, in my city are really making a big effort to knock that judgment off and Mm -hmm. just do a better job of treating that mother with the compassion uh, that she deserves. And it's it's something that we're actively working on. Okay. No, because in the Netherlands, I think, yeah, it may be similar. The difference is that home birth is normal and accepted and heavily regulated. I Mm -hmm. think the Dutch approach to home birth is pretty much the same uh, like the Dutch approach to, you know, prostitution, drugs. Mm Mm-hmm. As in, people will do it anyway, mm-hmm. so let's make it as safe as possible. Oh, I'm not, I'm not sure I want to place home birth on the same platform as prostitution and drugs. Yeah, and I, I know, I know it's just the same, you know, approach that they're not um, making it illegal or... Right. Um, I think actually for a while it has been the, you know, preferred way to, to give birth mm-hmm. in the Netherlands. So mm-hmm. everyone was kind of expected to... Yeah have a home birth and there's still this expectation that you're going to give birth naturally mm-hmm. even at hospital and you um yeah but basically yeah, it's it's heavily regulated and it's um yeah so the midwives have very strict you know regulations what they may do when they have to transfer and who is high risk and who is low risk right right um yeah did your third birth go um more smoothly um yeah this like uh, the second birth was actually six hours. It took six hours. Mm-hmm. And actually, I went back home the next day. Yeah, yeah. And I, I only left uh, the hospital the next day because, you know, um, I was transferred because she, um, she pooped in the water. So mm-hmm. they needed to, to check on her. But I just went home the next day. And with, when my son was born two years after that, he's three now, Um well, I just, um, he was born 4 p.m. In the, in the afternoon, 4 p.m. And uh, we went back home at 7, 7 o'clock, I think. Mm-hmm. 
three hours later and also only because we stayed for dinner because I didn't want to cook obviously after you know. <laughs> yeah <laughs> your, hus- your husband doesn't cook huh uh, he may, you know, he, he does sometimes, but uh, mostly he doesn't. Uh-huh. <laughs> I just thought it would be nice if someone served me dinner, so we yes, stayed out for the hospital. Nice. However, so, yeah, so, um, births in, in Dutch hospitals are like that. They're called polyklinische uh, bewaling, which is polyclinical birth, which means that you just take kind of rent a room for you to give birth in, and then they, after a few hours, you go home. Mm-hmm. That's however, go ahead. Yeah. However, what happens next is I think that's the most amazing part of the whole system here is the so-called kramsorg, which is a postpartum nurse nurse who comes to your place and she checks on mom and baby. She waits the baby. She you know makes sure everything is fine. She teaches how to she teaches the new mom how to you know change the baby's diaper and how to bathe the baby but it's not um that's not all what she does she also can prepare light meals mm-hmm. she cleans the bathrooms she makes the bed she does the laundry um i love her <laughs> i know after eight days well I, I, where are you i need you yeah <laughs> i still miss her yeah yeah and this is all paid for this is all covered um well, the birth and the the um, pregnancy um, is 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 covered by insurance. Yes. Yeah. Um, although, from what I know, things like the epidural, for example, it will depend on what kind of insurance you have, whether that is covered or not. I see. Um, although I think I had pain relief with my third, and that was covered. Mm-hmm. Although we, it, yeah, we kind of have a different type of insurance because my husband works at an international organization. So it all depends on what kind of insurance you have. And, um, and the Kramberg, yeah? That, I was just going to ask you. She stays for eight days? She stays for eight days, uh, eight hours a day. Wow. Awesome. The same nurse the whole time? Uh, they're trying to do that, but because they have shortages of those nurses, they can change some sometimes. Yeah, I see. That's wonderful. That's a great idea. I know. I love it. I just want every every woman and you know every woman in the world to have that kind of service. It's it's amazing. Like she makes she you know she arrived in the morning and she knew what kind of tea I liked and she made fruit salad for me mm-hmm. and she, she like it also depends on what they agree no, agree on. For example, one run errands for me when I couldn't leave home with the baby because she was too little. So the Kramsorg, the nurse went out for shopping for me. You know. Yeah. I love her. Um, I want her in my home. I know. <laughs> I still miss mine, so. Yeah, I bet. Um, how long do you get to be off work after you've had a baby? Um, so Dutch women get six, um, how, how much is 16 weeks altogether, and I think it's four weeks before the birth and 12 weeks after. Mm-hmm. And that's paid leave? Uh, that's paid leave, I think. And then uh, what, what happens after that? Is there any other type of um, parental, paid parental support? Um, well, there's um, how it's called child allowance. I, I don't know how much that is because, again, with us, it all goes through my husband's work. But I could have applied for and gotten that from the government as well. Hmm. And so, what, however, is, what does that cover? Um, I don't know, to be honest. Okay, <laughs> so, got it, got it, no problem. Um, 
again because I, yeah, um, the crumbs are, however, is covered in part, and part of that you need to pay yourself. Got it. Yeah, it's a wonderful system. That's great. It is. Yeah. It definitely is. Yes. Is um, it is it very different than services and systems in Poland? Um, I've never had a child in Poland. But you, um, you probably have family or friends who have, right? Yeah, so I've heard different types of stories. For example, I had a friend who, who was very happy with, with the care she got there. Mm-hmm. Um, although what happened with my second baby was that I we were, in, we were visiting, visiting my family in Poland for Christmas, and I had a bleeding um, on... Yeah, and in the hospital, in a hotel, one while we were in Poland. Were you pregnant, and or you'd already had her? I was. You no, know, I was pregnant, ah. and I had a bleeding, and it was like twenty something weeks. That's scary. It, it was very scary. Um, so, so of course we went to the hospital, and it was so weird. Like my husband, like my mom, and my husband, and me, of course, and my eldest daughter. We all, all went to the hospital. Mm-hmm. And the the doctors weren't really that nice. They were like, like neither my mom nor my husband were invited with me for the checkup. Mm. And um, she, like the doctor and her her assistant, were talking over my head. Oh, I hate that. Mm, it, it's not nice at all. And so, and did, no one did would you even address tell- that. Did you talk to them about that at the time, or did you just you were? Just- I was just asking questions. Is everything okay? And what does this mean? And why? And and so they they did answer all my questions. But for example, no one told my mom and my husband what was going on. Hmm. So I spent like an hour in there, and they just didn't know what was happening. They were they were worried about me, obviously. Of course, of course, yeah. Yeah. So it's it's you know fairly common to have some bleeding during pregnancy. Did they yeah. end up diagnosing a real problem? Or did no. they say, we don't know what it is, but you're fine? Um, I think what happened was that we were moving mm-hmm. uh, to a different house shortly before the birth. And I like we didn't want to hire a moving agency. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to help my husband you know, carry uh, all the things uh, from the old place to the new place. So heavy lifting. Yeah, I wasn't like I had this big stroller, so I took that and I put all the all the bags I could I put in the stroller. So I, you know, every day I just walked from the one apartment to the other. But uh-huh. maybe it was too much, and the doctor also said, "Oh, maybe you just shouldn't have done that." <laughs> yeah. So what what sometimes what that can be caused by is that you know all of those teeny tiny little blood vessels that are in the yeah. cer- cervix are just really extra full of blood. And yeah. when they can leak a little bit when there's too much pressure or injury or, you know, something like that. And that's probably yeah. what happened. But still, scary. Very, very. Luckily, it never happened again. Yeah. I was yeah. quite worried after that, but it never happened again. And she was born healthy and fine. So sort of yeah. Mother Nature's way of saying, don't move any more stuff. <laughs> yeah, I think so. We were smart for the when we actually bought a house, uh-huh. uh, we actually hired a, a moving agency who did <laughs> Good that thinking. for us. Good thinking, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. I love that, yeah. So what else do you want our listeners to know about you know, about the, the birth and motherhood experience in the Netherlands? 
Um, so yeah, maybe I can add that with my first, with my third child, um, I was, I was kind of unsure because I was feeling miserable because you know when the morning sickness stopped, I mm-hmm. started getting heartburn, so I was in you know pain, uh-huh. and so I, I talked to my midwives and they were like, oh, it's normal. Yeah. Well, so yeah, the basic approach to pregnancy and birth here—it's it's normal. Yeah. But, <laughs> so and I was miserable. I didn't feel normal. I was just so you know in pain. So um, I was thinking about it, and I just didn't feel right being treated that way. Um, and I hired a doula. Oh, great! Yeah, tell me what happened then. So I know, for example, I found out about doulas from American um, birth, you know, blogs and articles. Uh huh. And I know that in the U.S. they're mostly used to help women achieve a natural birth uh-huh. at the hospital, for example. So I had a doula for a totally different reason. I had a doula to get pain relief. Ah, well, tell me about yeah, that. Yeah, because in the Netherlands, they, like it's not, not just the midwives, it's also the doctors here. They expect you to be very outspoken and direct and just tell them what you want. Mm-hmm. So they wouldn't really, you know... Um, suggest anything. They expect um, you to be the one who yes. initiates the request. Yes. Okay, yes. Got so, it. for example, if you want pain relief and labor, uh-huh. then you need to say it often and loudly, and probably at each appointment, and write it down, and, and so on. So it's, um, and I'm not like that, really. I'm just, you know, <laughs> you kind of go with the I'm, flow. Yeah, I'm, I'm just shy. You know, I'm not very. Uh, not very direct. I just, I would have preferred if they ask, would you like pain relief? Uh-huh. But they wouldn't do it because, you know, the midwives, they, um, they just don't suggest that. Yeah. So I had to do a lot to help me communicate better and to f- help me figure out what I wanted for the birth. You know, one sort of way of thinking about it is that, you know, some women say they wouldn't have they wanted a natural birth or an unmedicated birth yeah. and it they felt like they were pestered by the nurses and midwives and doctors who kept asking them do you want an epidural do you want pain relief do you want an epidural yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. and um you know so that's sort of the other side of the story yes where they say that if they hadn't been asked they probably would not have left their birth plan and gone ahead and gotten pain relief but you know yours is the other the other perspective. If they had yeah. asked you, you probably would have said yes. Yeah. Yeah. In the end, I didn't get the epidural because when I arrived at the hospital, it was too late. But I did get the pethidine shot, which was kind of awesome. It was amazing. Uh-huh. You liked it? I did. Yeah. Because it was so nice not to be... I mean, it didn't really stop the pain, but it took the edge off to make it more bearable. Mm-hmm. Um, and for example, with my second birth, second daughter, it was more or less totally natural, except for the internal monitor I had because I didn't want uh, the belt things on my belly. It was just uh, gross, felt gross. Mm-hmm. So they put an internal monitor on her head. And, but otherwise, I didn't have anything. Um, and she was born in six hours. Um, so yeah. Um, but with my son, I just, um, actually I was planning a birth at the birth, birth center, but again, he pooped in the water and so I had to be transferred again. 
it seems a thing my kids are doing. I don't know why. A couple of mine did um, that too. So I, what, I want to just insert an explanation here. Mm-hmm. Um, what Olga is talking about is meconium. That's baby's first yeah. bowel movement. And some babies do that before they're born. Um, most wait until after. But um, it is sometimes a sign that a baby is so stressed out that he actually you know, poops. More often, it's just... Baby's got to go, so the baby goes. And the danger part is um, that if the baby inhales some of the meconium, that can cause a lung infection. Lots and lots and lots of babies are born with meconium, and most do not inhale it. And even those that do inhale a little bit, most do not get an infection. Yet it's dangerous enough for a few that, you know, people take special precautions. So, for example, in the Netherlands, that's one of the reasons midwives transfer. Yeah, yeah. 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 That's a common one. So and it's one of those things where it's not really an emergency, but it's sometimes treated like an emergency. Yeah, and I was actually very glad that, you know, um, they took it seriously enough. I mean, even if the, both kids who were born here were health, born healthy, but I felt, okay, they're, you know, they're not taking any risk with me mm-hmm. and my babies. Mm-hmm. So the third time around, I was um, transferred to a hospital, but it was like the, the birth center was actually in a hospital, so I only had to go one floor higher up. Uh-huh. Oh, that's great. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That's great. And so again, the, yeah. the more, um, the midwife run, birth center was in the same building as the yes. hospital base oh that's yes that's a good system yeah it definitely is and uh, what happened was since I was already at the hospital I thought I could ask for pain relief mm-hmm. because I wouldn't have gotten it in a, in a birth center or in the home obviously sure. um, but I was there so and I had a doctor so I asked her for pain relief and mm-hmm. she was oh yeah sure great so it was Sometimes women here have problems getting pain relief because, well, it it's not, you know, normal here, but sometimes midwives make you wait and wait at home until you it's too late for the epidural or any other type of pain relief. Mm-hmm. Sure. It, it can happen. So yeah. I was actually happy to, in the end, I was, I, I, you know, I started out as wanting a home birth and in the end ended up having pain relief and actually because of the support and the doula I had and my husband with me I think the third bird was what the one I remember the most fondly mm-hmm. yeah yeah and but it, yeah, you know, it took we... lots of pre- pre- preparation and you know thinking about what I what it was I wanted to to really get that mm-hmm. yeah I often say that you know your first birth is going to be your longest and hardest your second is going to be much easier <laughs> and much faster and your yeah. third it's anybody's guess. <laughs> it's yeah, anybody's luckily, guess. Yeah, exactly. Luckily, he was born like it took four hours for him to be born. So uh-huh. it was super fast. Yeah. Well, Olga, we have been on the line for quite some time now. So mm-hmm. I want to ask you my parting question that I ask all the moms who come on the show. And that is this. Okay. Where are you in your life as a mom? Uh, good question. So I have three kids now, age seven, five, and three. Uh-huh. And did girls go to school because Dutch kids start school at seven, at, at four year olds. Mm-hmm. They're four, actually at their fourth birthday, which is at all the, 
it's it's a topic for a different discussion but so they start at four years old so both the girls are son goes to daycare uh, times half days so it's it's nice so they can learn Dutch and yeah so your kids are in school yeah yeah and anything else you want to say about that where you are in your life as a mom uh well yeah um so my son will start school next year, so I'm looking forward to that and having a little bit more time for writing and, and my work. Uh -huh. um, yeah, so there's that. So you're right gonna, now he's three, so. You're still in the toddler years. Your kids are still very, very young. Mm, I'm potty training my youngest, which is fun. I mean, yeah. it's not, it's not it's fun. It's not fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, good luck with that. Well, Olga, I really appreciate your coming on and telling us about the ways that things are different and the ways that things are the same. You know, motherhood is such a universal experience no matter where you live. Exactly. Yeah. I'm so glad to, to be here today. It was such a pleasure. Well, great. Well, thank you very much, and we'll talk again. Thank you so much. Mama said there'll be days like this. There'll be days like this, Mama said. Mama said. Today's guest was Olga Mecking. She writes the blog EuropeanMama.com. Common Sense Pregnancy and Parenting is produced by Alex Ward at Sounds Like Pictures Studios in Portland, Oregon. You can find out more about me at JeanFaulkner.com. Tweet me, email me, and help me keep this conversation going. We're looking for sponsors, so hit me up if you went in on that. And go buy my darn book, will ya? Common Sense Pregnancy is a Penguin Random House publication that's available all over the place. Come on next week. We'll talk more. Looking forward to it. Bye, everybody. Hey.